Welcome to Strong Points, Weak Points, the Daniel Amos podcast extravaganza. My name is Samuel. And the real thing, ooh. <laughs> and, and my name is Aaron. And who is that on the throne you'll find? The King of Kings. But tonight we have with us, not the King of Kings, but somebody kind of close, the incomparable, the singular talent, the guitar extraordinaire, Jerry Chamberlain. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, good to be and, with you guys. And great to have you. And Jerry, for those who don't know, could you tell us briefly about who you are musically and what you bring to Daniel Amos? Yeah. Um, well, I was one of the founding members of the band. Um, Terry and Steve Baxter, Terry Taylor and Steve Baxter came down from Northern California to Southern California in 1974. And that's when I met them at a um, fellowship um, group that met in Calvary Chapel there in Costa Mesa. And um, they came to me and they were looking for a lead guitar player. Um, and asked if I was interested, and I said, sure. So we exchanged phone numbers, and the following week they called me, lo and behold. Um, and um, so I went over and, um, you know, met with them, uh, got together, and um, heard some of Terry's material, and thought, wow, um, I hadn't heard anything of that caliber um, in the Christian market, probably at all, because um, I was used to more of what was happening at the time, which was mostly um, scriptural-based stuff. There are a few bands that, um, you know, wrote things beyond that, but for the most part, um, not a lot other than that. Um, so uh, I said, yes, I, I would definitely be interested in being a part of it. Um, and so from there, um, we just, you know, things just started taking off. Um, so I've been, I was with the band from 74 um, until 83 when I left the band for numerous reasons. Um, financially, uh, I had gotten married in 1980 and it was uh, difficult to make ends meet. And there was a lot of friction and stuff going on and, and things, and I just, I needed to, to take a breather and, um, get out and do some other things, so that's what I did, um, came back in, um, 93 with motorcycle, and, um, have been doing things off and on with the band ever since, so, that would be me. That is awesome, um, I, I like that you lay out the history up front. And it's so cool to be talking to a founding member of a, such an iconic band that so many people love, even up to like U2's drummer loves you guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much the most probably influential and important independent Christian band ever. Oh, U2. Yeah. I mean, um, they, you know, for so many people. Uh, they were the band and such a high profile band. Um, 
I we. I was talking about it. Daniel Amos. I was talking about Daniel Amos, not you too. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So was I. <laughs> nice. All right. So um, tonight, um, we are so happy to have you, Jerry, because we're gonna be talking about um, a very special album for a lot of people, Alarma. I don't know how you're supposed to say that with the estimation points on both sides. But I'm just going to assume Alarma. Um, it came out in 1981. This was... Horrendous Disc was the, the the new sound album. This was the Who Are These Guys album. Um, and I'm sure we'll get some context and stories about that in a minute. But um, from what I can gather, this album came out in 1981. It had Mr. Jerry Chamberlain on lead guitars and background vocals. Ed McTaggart on drums. Terry Taylor on guitar and lead vocals, and Marty Dykmeyer on bass. Yeah, it's actually Dykmeyer. D e like D. It's D i e c k, but pronounced Dykmeyer. Dykmeyer, gotcha. Yeah. Dykmeyer, gotcha. Okay. And, and Jerry also did percussion on uh, my room, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, we and, had, we had a lot of fun with that. I did. I actually did a percussion thing on Colored By 2, and I'll talk more about that later. Awesome. So this album, um, we, we usually kind of give our thoughts and feelings on it up front. So Jerry, we'll hit you up last so you can tell us all the fun background stuff of the album overall before going track by track. Sure. Um, so this album, I don't have too much connection to it other than, you know, since I've been into music, Daniel Amos obviously exists and you can't read the history of Christian music without running into Daniel Amos. I listened to this album a few times and um, it's not the most accessible album. So young me didn't quite get into it. I always found the album cover kind of weird with uh, the eyeballs uh, airbrushed out and um yeah, it just I didn't have a huge connection to it, and um, really this review has changed my thoughts on this significantly. So, Aaron, tell me before we get to Jerry your history with this album. So, like I said previously, so Mr. Beatner's Dream was my first Amos album, and so from that point on, um, I went back through the catalog. So I can't remember. So. I was older, so I was probably, I was a pastor at that time, so I was probably like 26, 25, so I had some life experience for behind me, so when I got to Alarma, I was coming from it from a more experience, and I'm, I'm with you, Sam, like, this is not, I wouldn't say it's not accessible, um, but it's a thinking album, and it's not like a pop album, so to speak, <laughs> although the music is very popular, the subject matter is not, so if, you know, so I, I get where you're coming from on that, but I instantly loved it. I thought it was amazing. Um, it and I wouldn't like you said that um, horrendous. This was probably like the change up album, like um, burning the cowboy hat, so to speak. I think the Alarma album was the the mission statement of Daniel Amos. Was like, okay, this is this band now. We're going to be true prophet. We're going to be true prophets, true champions of Christ, and we're going to speak truth to power. We're going to be authentic in our faith and call out those who aren't being. 
And I really appreciate that. And speaking of the album um, work, uh, album artwork you mentioned, that airbrushed uh, eyes, yeah, that's weird. But on the inside of the vinyl and the CD, there's a booklet of like the band members, you know, like watching TV or whatever and pointing to a starving person um, in the window while they're going to church, like ignore. And like the ones are like pointing to the ones going to church and because they're like just walking past a hungry person. I, was, I just thought that was a powerful image. And like without he re hearing anything or listening to music, you know, this is not going to be a praise and worship album. This is not going to be a Jesus loves everybody album. This is going to be some real, you know, some real subject matter is going to be dealt with. And so I remember just seeing that image when I first, I was like, wow, okay. Before I even heard it, I was like, all right, well, let's see what this is about. I was on board and I love it. <laughs> Fair enough. I, uh, and now that you say, it, I think the airbrushed eyes might be, you know, we're ignoring the world. Cause that's a huge theme in this album. Yeah. Um, Yes, and yeah, I was going to mention that later too, but go ahead. <laughs> so Jerry, um, go ahead and give us, um, how did this album come about? Give us like some overview of it, you know, before we go track by track. Um, little background, how did you guys decide to make this huge switch from country to pop to alternative? And new wave all punk. that. <laughs> yes, new <laughs> wave punk. Tell us everything. Okay, well... Um, yeah, we started out um, country rock because in the mid-70s, uh, that's kind of where we were all at at the time. Um, there was a lot of that going on from the very late 60s um, up until that time. And, um, you know, there were so many different types of rock happening, but we were all into country rock as well as other things. Um so that was really our starting point. Um, we we were um, influenced by that and writing in that vein. Um, so we started with that. But even the first album that we did had other things, other styles, and was kind of pointing towards, with those other styles, kind of pointing towards the fact that we were um, eclectic, and um, wanting to move into other areas. So by the time the second album came out, Shotgun Angel, which was the second side was a concept, uh, we, you know, were moving away from the country rock thing into uh, a lot of Beatles influence and some Steely Dan and some ELO and all kinds of stuff. So, um, and, and orchestral stuff as well. I always loved um, a lot of uh, things in rock music that mixed classical with rock. Um, so um, we had done that. By the time we got to um, Horrendous Disc era, uh, we were expanding even more. And um, we're actually trying to get a, a major... Uh, label deal at the time, um, which I'm sure Terry talked a lot about that as well, um, with um, talking about Harina's disc. But um, in the fall of 1980, um, we had just gotten the go-ahead from <clears throat> uh, a legendary music attorney, Al Schlesinger, 
um, we went to him because we had gotten hung up in solid rock and uh, couldn't get horrendous disc to be released. So um, we checked with Al Schlesinger. He said the contract with uh, solid rock was uh, not legally binding. There was nothing there to hold us and it was okay for us to move on. And we had gotten a, um, um, Benson company actually had been interested in us and some other people. And we had, had thought about going different directions, but we decided to sign with Benson company. And, um, so the band at that point, just before we signed the band at that point, because we didn't have an album out and, uh, weren't making a lot of money, uh, we lost two of the members of the band. So we went from a six piece and we had two drummers, you know, and a keyboard player, as well as the other members that you mentioned earlier. Um, Alex McDougal was playing uh, double drums and percussion. And then Mark Cook played keyboards. And so both of them left at the same time. And suddenly we were faced with, we're back down to a four piece, which was at the same time, uh, sad to see the other two guys leave, but, um, exciting to think, okay, well, what does this mean now? And, um, so that brought some big changes to our sound. And because we were listening to a lot of what was happening, uh, in mainstream music, um, that was around the time, actually just before that in the late seventies, um, punk and new wave was starting to happen, uh, and so many other different bands. So, um, we were being influenced by all of that. And um, so uh, that changed our sound. Uh, our arrangements became more stripped down to accommodate those changes in personnel. And it presented a great opportunity for all the remaining members to stretch out and to step up and take on other tasks. Ed was given the chance to sing more and Marty Deckmeyer um, could move more into uh, doing keyboard abilities. And um, he sang on, matter of fact, sang on one cut uh, on Alarma as well. So, um, so we had all those influences going on and the music began to change. Uh, and two other big things happened to us around this time too. I had just gotten married uh, in the fall of 1980 and also during the sessions, we were in session in uh, December of 1980 uh, when John Lennon was assassinated. So uh, that uh, was devastating and um, we were just dumbstruck and saddened. And it's one of those things I don't think we've ever actually really gotten over because the Beatles were such an influence to us. Um, anyway, uh, that kind of brings us up to date to um, being in session in Alarma. And um, that's that's how things happened. All right, Jerry. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's insightful stuff. I was wondering how that transitioned. I'm sure we all were wondering that because it was drastic. Um, well, I'm going to kick things off and we'll go ahead and get into it. The first song, Central Theme, 
Um, all right, my thoughts. The intro to this song lets you know that, and then the drum, the song starts. You know, this is not country. That's not horrendous. This, this is yet again a totally different sound. I love the groove of the song that continues throughout. It's a nice um, bass line. Um, the chorus speaks to the humbling nature that nature has on us. Um, and I mean, just, just sheer poetry. Um, solar wind, solar screens, I am nothing, vibrations under the rings, how great you are. So um, this is, I believe this album and with this song in particular, Terry finds his groove and being able to evangelize to use the gospel, but in a creative, artful way where it's not off-putting and provokes thought. That's hard to do. Um, not everybody can do it. It's very hard to do it. And that's probably why people are attracted to D8s and um, music so much because of that. Um, it appeals to the art and the need for art, but also to the spiritual nature that we also you know, want fulfilled. Um, this song, it's a great overture for the next three albums that are coming for the four part concept of the armor chronicles um and i love how the, the the there's the mention of the ghost of the heart in this song that concludes the album so it's like a nice callback i like that so the continuity how they kept how you guys kept all four albums to be coherent with each other is amazing that's hard to do as well um and i never thought that somebody could write the lyrics who is on the throne you find the king of kings lord of lords and make it sound cool and not sound hokey but you guys did it I give this song three and a half stars. It's my third favorite song on this album. What do you think, Sam? Um, so I find this song fascinating as an opening track and a pseudo worship song. You're right. The poetry in it is really great. I wish um, worship music tends to shy away from poetry because a lot of people want it to be sung corporate where a lot of people can easily recognize the imagery. But I love the poetry. It's it's beautiful. Um, and I love the idea of everything. Just just give you an upfront. Jesus is the central theme of everything we do. Even if we don't flat out say it, we're spelling it out for you. So if anyone's wondering, Jesus is indeed the central theme. Um, and this the music is just much more moody than anything else DA has done up to this point. Um, great new wave sound and just sets the sets the um the stake in the ground of here we are this is this is the new us and it's going to be an awesome ride so jerry why don't you tell us what you think about the central theme and then the title track right after that yeah um well um Apparently, the way I understand it, as far as what Terry was going through when he wrote the lyrics, he apparently was reading an article and, and had read an article and also was watching a TV program about some amazing facts regarding the planets. Um, and that inspired him, of course, to write those lyrics, a moon like a gong, things like that, that just were mind blowing. Um, so some of that made its way into the song in those lyrics. Um, and uh, basically, the, the songwriter 
is, you know, I mean, a word that is uh, overused and misused so much today, awesome, really applies in the sense here of how the uh, songwriter is in awe of God's creation. Um, Terry and I now musically, Terry and I essentially, in some respects, switched guitar part roles in the intro section. I play the picking part that starts the song, whereas Terry's doing the octave stuff that comes in uh, on top of it. Uh, and then I played the solo as well. But um, that's also Terry and I on vocals and the chorus and the in vamp. Um, it's just a great um, song that the more you hear it, the more it means. And, and lyrically, it's, it's just one of, um, you know, praise, genuine praise, um, poetically um, looking at uh, nature and the universe and giving God high praise. Now you're talking about Larma. Um, yes. Aha. That, um, how we came to the name Alarma, um, it's funny. Uh, we had heard about it. Alex McDougall, our um, uh, second drummer percussionist um, who had just left the band, had told us about a Mexican tabloid called Alarma when he was in the band. And it just had all these horrible photos of people who'd been killed and stuff, really gruesome, gory stuff. And uh, he was aware of it. And uh, matter of fact, he got a copy for us to look at. Uh, and it was ju it's just horrible. But it impressed upon us as something, uh, I mean, it's basically alarm. You know, it's, it's sounding the siren, sounding the alarm. And so that became the album title. Um, and the, set us off on a course doing a concept of four records. Um, so, yeah, Terry borrowed the title, put it to really good use in the song, The Sound of the Alarm that began the Chronicles. And that's Alex sitting in on marimba, by the way. Uh, his sister, Dahl, uh, was also a percussionist. She borrowed the uh, marimba from... Uh, the college she was attending and um, nice yeah such a nice such a different touch for a song and I think it fits really well it's like it's like the Rolling Stones using marimba on um, um, under my thumb you know that kind of thing mm. uh, and oh uh, another note here um, that I have to mention apparently my guitar solo for Alarma the song is D.A. co-conspirator Paul Averett's all-time favorite solo, bar none. Oh. He told me that. Okay. It, it, of course, blew my mind, you know. Um, but uh, I had to mention that because he told me that, and um, I was amazed. So um, uh, thank you, Paul, <laughs> for that <laughs> sort of confidence. Anyway, um, yeah, the song, uh, it really... You know, it, it moves in a great um, way, and it's a great um, theme song, although we already had a theme for the whole um, album and the whole 
idea, Alarma really nails the whole thing of communication and what we're trying to do and whether we're really getting through with our message. And um, so there you go. All right, thanks. Um, Sam, you want to go next or you want me to go? I'll go for it. Um, okay, go ahead. So this this song, I, I like that central. This is how you order how you um, order the tracks of an album. Central theme opens up strong with here is the literal central theme of the album. This is our banger. We go straight into Alarma, which is the title track, but also sets forth the themes of the album, really pulling together the artwork and the ideas that flow throughout the entire album. Um, and just that just works so masterfully in my head, how they sequence those. And I love it. Um, I also like that the song is a scathing song uh, directed, at least I, I feel like, at the church. Um, we take things way too light sometimes, and meanwhile, people are right outside our windows hurting and uh, going through all kinds of crap, and we just turn a blind eye. And then I, I really love how we flip it even more. Like, it just goes deeper um in the second verse and paints a picture of god how we paint god to the rest of the world of an angry judgmental figure who wants you to just pay your money and shut up and it's 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 critique i don't see a lot of in christian music like i i feel like i wouldn't see critique like this until Derek webb came around in the early 2000s again and now I'm sure it was there, here and there, but you didn't ever hear it in the mainstream, especially. And I, I love it. It's something that is so needed to just, you know, point the finger back at yourself sometimes. Um, musically, this one is sort of similar to past albums, but far more experimental. It reminds me a bit of Horrendous Disc, but it definitely takes that step forward to keep things interesting. So that is my thoughts on the title track. Aaron, what do you got? Before I uh, um, review this, I just want to say that I love every song on this album. It's just some are better than others, but there's no bad tracks. Um, so, um, but with that said, I love the drums um, and how they meld with the um, bass perfectly here. And and I, I, I do love the guitar solo here as well. Um, it's very emotive. That's the word I wrote down. It's very emotive. It really like captures the anxiety or like the the, the the urgency of the lyrics in the song so i thought that was really good the 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 music and the solo really do a good job in that and man terry <laughs> he loves guilting people for attending parties man <laughs> hound of heaven now this song like <laughs> terry does not like people partying um i kid but yeah and i get what they're saying there and i want to like what you both said I think it's very important that um, the church is okay with criticizing itself. And it, that's probably the problems that continue to exist because they don't. And you're right, like the Sam, when you say the, that the world gets communicated, that God's vengeful, he just wants your money, he's a genie or whatever. And in the song, it's like, no, that's not it. And that's a problem. This is why it needs to stop because people turn to the pleasures of the um, flesh and then because they want comfort and love, but the church presents this vengeful, money-hungry God, and that's not going to bring comfort to anybody. 
And so that ends in the church judging those people for not coming into the church. And so you're right. There's like that double, that fight between the church communicating the wrong message to people and then judging them for them not wanting to come into the fold. And DA, this song, Daniel Amos is sounding that alarm. And I love that they call Daniel Amos because it's prophetic. What do the prophets do? They, they, they come, they speak truth to power and they call out bullcrap when it's bullcrap and without caring what the consequences are. And I really appreciate that. Um, three stars. And that's my la- this is my 11th favorite song in this album, but again, love them all. Um, we have next big time, big deal, Sam go. All right. Um, and there's 16 tracks. So, I mean, you got a lot to choose from. All right. So now we've critiqued the church. Let's go ahead and critique uh, the Christian music industry and televangelists. Um, now, critiquing televangelists did become popular in the late 80s, early 90s, after a whole bunch of scandals broken out. Um, not so much, I feel like, at this point in time. Um, and I'm not, not to say every last one of them is horrible people. Um, just like, you know, everyone in the Christian music industry isn't a horrible person. But there are people in it for just the money. And um, it's... You know, we all get stars in our eyes sometimes, and even with the best of intentions, it's easy to get sucked into that wormhole. And um, preachers do it, singers do it, um, the everyday, you know, churchgoer can do it sometimes. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting way to go about this. The music is like super busy, but not particularly interesting. Now, at first, I was disappointed until I thought about it. I'm like hey, it's super busy, but not particularly interesting. Kind of like a televangelist or some Christian music artists. Maybe not a coincidence. (laughs) Jerry, can you deny or confirm any of my theories here? Well, uh, actually, um, well, I mean, everybody has their own interpretation, which none none of them are ever wrong. Um, but from where we were coming from, just out of um, searching for that uh, major label deal, um, that's where we were coming from at the time. Uh, it was written after seeking the major record label deal, um, but the song is a motive check, you know, a, a heart check, uh, an assessment of that experience. Um, and it, it really describes a lot of what we were going through, but it's, it's also sort of like a fantasy, um, uh, Terry just writing a fantasy about, uh, the guy that just gets this idea and he's just going forward and putting on the blinders and just going full speed ahead. Um, so that's really my assessment of of what the song is about. Um, musically, uh, it was one of those songs that um, came about, the arrangement came about pretty quickly. Um, I was uh, late, very late to the rehearsal um, when we were working on the arrangement of the song. By the time I had gotten there, 
um, both Marty and Ed had their parts pretty well down um, that, you know, Terry had shared the song with them. So when I got there, um, I just started weaving my part, guitar part, around and through what the others had already created. And um, we actually went into the studio that very evening after just coming up with the parts and cutting the track. So it, it, it was like very quickly uh, it all came together. And um, actually kind of an exciting track to do, um, kind of whacked, um, but energy-wise, very sort of stripped down new wave, um, frenetic, uh, and, and kind of bizarre. But I kind of like that about it. There you go. Okay. Well, um, okay. What I wrote is um, now we get to the lambasting of Christian Christian ghetto culture. And when I say ghetto, I don't mean like a part of the city. I mean the other um, definition where you restrict or isolate things into a separate group. And so in the Christian music movie culture, um it's gotta be christian music you gotta have a christian bakery you gotta have christian shoe store all this stuff is like you're creating a christian ghetto and and i feel like here terry's lambat is saying no this is not a good way to do things um and the and also the lyrics talk about how um sometimes like you mentioned not all of them but clearly some churches um and artists care more about money than authenticity and this is a common theme throughout DA's um, discography, which I really appreciate. Um, the main culprit in this is the prosperity gospel. And Terry talked about this when he, when he sings the line, I get all this in heaven when I'm done. It's all prosperity and no suffering, which is not the message of the gospel. And that causes so much dysfunction and pain in people's lives when you have this image of if you become a Christian, it's all gumdrops and skittles and then you get heaven and we'll talk about it further later in the album but he, he touches upon that here and musically this is what i wish the talking head sounded like like it's new wave is a very specific sound and it's da hits uh, hits the perfect balance <laughs> on um with that feel and the song in particular i really love it um it's catchy as all get out and i dance every time it comes on um but yeah lyrically and it's so it's interesting though because it although it's poppy and upbeat it's like totally torching and criticizing the materialism that is right now even to this day defining and destroying the evangelical church in america um three stars my eighth favorite song on this on this album and that takes us to props all right props um so on this one, I just wrote operatic and whimsical um, in a distinctly creepy way. Um, it, um, it reminds me of, okay, I just saw like a, a little mini clip of this today. So it just brought it to my mind. Um, there was a Tim, oh, what was it? A Robin Williams movie back in the 90s called Toys. And all the aesthetics in it were like these super pastel fake looking um 
scenery and toys and everything just looked weird and creepy. And that's what this song reminds me of. And I love it. Um, but I can't say it's like my favorite song on the album or anything, but I do like that aesthetic. Um, maybe about, you know, um, the song seems to be about how we just put on a show for the world and we're like, we're perfect people. And, you know, everything's just fake around us and just waiting to be torn down at any moment. Um, something that was touched on by the, the title track, Horrendous Disc, previously. So a, uh, a fun move forward. Though this track also kind of jumps into a, a slight problem I have with this album, where some tracks repeat ideas or themes, and it seems a bit redundant at times. But that's just a tiny, tiny critique. Aaron, what do you got? Okay, um, I love the percussion in this song. Um, it sounds like someone going on a walkabout, very kinetic and energetic. Like when I um, hear the song, I think of like somebody just walking. And I also wrote down, this reminds me of that same movie. Super creepy. That's funny. Um, That's funnier. That's a very specific <laughs> movie, too. It is. I love it. I mean, I love Robin Williams. I've seen all his movies, though. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I love the background vocals. Brian Wilson would be proud. Um, it's the best part of this song. Um, the toned down nature of this song um, makes it super creepy, too. Um, I think it was high energy. It would have had a different feel. And then the whistle at the end, I really like it because it kind of like, I don't know, it's like, a, it's just like so, it's, 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 um, what's the word? It's serene and creepy at the same time. And it's, it's just, I don't know, every time I hear that, it's just like, just really just stops me in my tracks. Um, and I think this song is about how when people live on the surface level of life, they're not prepared for the realities of life. And when the when the winds of change or whatever change or, you know, hardship comes, they get blown over. And when that happens, they resign themselves to this fate. And they fall like a pot to the ground with this. They still smile. And that, <laughs> that last line, like they they still smile. And it's, in my mind, I just imagine like those props on the ground, like. And they have this big grin. And it's like a creepy grin. Like they just like resigned to just be conquered by life. And then the song just ends in a whistle. <laughs> so creepy. I love it. Um, it's three stars. My 13th favorite song on this album. What do you like to share with us on the, about this song, Jerry? Yeah, it's um, uh, yeah, it's a it's a funny song. Um, and the title props it can go in so many different ways um it's it's like is this the real life or is this just fantasy <laughs> um terry uh marty actually sings this uh terry asked marty to sing it and um terry was or, or marty was reluctant to do it at first but he does a really spot-on vocal. It's just perfect for the song. Uh, and that's Terry and I doing all the background parts in the Disney-esque fantasy tapestry, um, all that stuff. Uh, and it was a lot of fun to put all that together. Um, yeah, and the, and the, the instrumentation, it's like um, somebody doing a soft shoe, you know. It's... Um, it's like a, it's like a song and dance. It's like um, uh, everything's phony, fake, you know. Um, 
what is real? Um, are people, you know, actually believing, um, like you said, is it surfacy? Is it uh, shallow? Uh, or is it, or is there any depth to their uh, faith? Um, so I think that works really well. And it's a short song. I mean, it comes in under two minutes. Uh, but I think in that length of time, um, it's just this guy strolling along saying hi to all these cardboard cutouts, you know, and then whistling off into the untouched by reality, untouched by the, the, re the hardships of uh, the real world. So there you have it. Okay, I think I'll kick off the next one from my room. Um, the percussion at the beginning is sublime. That cowbell is everything in the song. Love it. Um, this song, and I really appreciate this, it talks about the timidity that exists in the church. They want the world to conform to its way of speaking and living and existing instead of doing the hard work of meeting people where they are. Um, the, the, the line from St. Francis of Assisi comes to mind, preach the gospel today and if necessary, use words. And that implies that you're going to go out, you're going to live with people, you're going to be authentic in your faith, you're going to be able to um, face the hardships that they face and everything. But and the song's like, no, nah, I'm gonna stay in my room. And like it's 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 safe here. It's and it's, I love the the progression of the lyrics. It starts with one person being tibbeted in their room, sliding their note through the wicked note through the door to the wicked wicked world. But then it evolves into bigger rooms with people like me. Obviously talking about churches, and that's so true. Again, back to that ghetto theme, like. If you don't think and breathe and move and go to the same places we we go to, you can't come into this building. You're not welcome here, and we and and we're and we're not going to go anywhere else but into our little our, or bigger rooms. <laughs> if you have a mega church, and I love that uh, that progression. Um, and my favorite part of the song though, is that part. We harmonize. We know it's real. That every time I hear this, and um, Pearl Jam had a song called "Do the Evolution" back in 1998, which I heard before I even knew DA existed. And there's this um, line that goes, "I'm a thief. I I'm a liar. I'm a thief. That's my church. I sing in a choir." And then they have this choir pseudo cat choir going hallelujah, kind of like this. And every time I hear this song, I think of that. <laughs> Bet you never thought a Pearl Jam song would be referenced on a DA podcast, but there it is. <laughs> this song's a jam. Um, also think of the Beach Boys song In My Room Here and I don't know if you know the story behind that song but um, you know Brian Wilson's um, dad was very abusive and so that song's about him feeling safe in his room and he was sheltered himself from a real danger and I find it really hilarious and sad that in this song the church is hiding from the fake terror and the fake fear that the outside world is going to destroy them um, you know and yeah, so that's how I feel about the song. Three stars again, my fifth favorite song on this album. All right, Jerry, why don't you tell us uh, what you think of this uh, California Sunshine track? Yeah, well, it is. Um, it's it's funny. We um, Terry and I are both pretty introverted people, um, and I know he wrote this more as um, it's like hard sometimes to get out of your comfort zone as much as you want to uh, to reach the world. It's, it's 
it's a lot easier to stay in your room and, you know, write songs or whatever and put albums out. But, you know, it's, it's how effective is that? And, you know, you want to reach, you want to do more than that. So in some ways it's a self, um, you know, it's like, like self critique or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it speaks to that. It speaks to, uh, also the want wanting to and needing to make a real impact in, in this world. Um, Musically, it was sort of a Bowie-esque treatment uh, with a lot of percussion. Um, Alex played, uh, came in and played congas on it. Um, I played the Agogo Bells, and Marty and Ed also uh, played um, some percussion as well. So we did all that same percussion in the um, demo that we had of it, and we just carried over and did the same thing in the, in the studio when we cut the uh, album track. Um, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do the guitar work in it and, and uh, working, Terry and I working together on it. Um, so there you go. That's my assessment. Very nice. Um, I don't have a whole lot to say about the song, honestly. This kind of gets into the tracks that I feel like kind of repeat themes or ideas in this album and don't have as much to say. Um, however, with that said, I am a hardcore introvert as well. That's why I started a podcast because it's something cool I can do without ever actually having to leave my room as it were. Um, so I totally relate to that. Um, it's, it's really hard for me to go up and talk to new people or, you know, get into the hard work of connecting to people sometimes so i can definitely appreciate that theme and um how it works and i appreciate you know just got the kind of sunshine of the track of um sometimes and i don't know if this was intentional or not but sometimes we can fool ourselves into believing the artificial light we have inside our own areas is real sunshine um not literally but we just we spend so much time indoors with artificial light or, you know, we spend so much time in the church with just each other that we, we forget to actually be in the real light of God or in the real light of the world, as it were. And um, I, I like the idea of music mirroring ideas in the lyrics. So, yeah, there you, there you go. Aaron, what do we got next? Um, we got Faces to the Window. Who wants to take that one first? Jerry, why don't you go for it? Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. What have I got? Uh, Okay. Uh, Yeah. Faces to the window. That's a lot of what that um, photo in the inside of the album cover with the TV on, the starving boy at the window, the the TV on, um, Terry holding a book, Rich Christian's in an age of uh, hunger, I think it was called, by Ron Sider. I can't remember exactly the title. Um, And then, um, you know, yelling to the people going into 
um, church who have no eyes and cannot see. Um, so really what Faces to the Window is talking about is, uh, are we really following the teachings of Jesus and loving everyone as we love ourselves? Uh, do we want, do we have love, compassion, and empathy? Or just are we rationalizing? Are we selfish? And are we hypocrites? Um, it's, it's all about, um, you know, who are we really? Who are we following? Um, and um, what, what is really important? You know, are we really Jesus followers? So uh, musically, uh, it's, it was a fun, fun track to do. Fast and energetic. Uh, a lot of fun to play live. Um, and um, yeah, I think it, it, it's just a, a lot of fun to do. So that's yeah, okay. Cool. Um, again, strong t talking heads vibes in this song. Um, the song starts by um, the narrator sharing the annoyance at the fact that after a long day's work, he's confronted by poor people, homeless people being hungry. And then later in the song, he ponders why, when is the when is God's kingdom coming? Not really, not realizing that it already, already has. God has blessed them with material possessions that he could use to lessen the suffering of his fellow brothers and sisters, but he's not. That reminds me of the sheep and goats parable um, in Revelation. Um, and throughout the song, the narrator continues to be shocked that the poor continue to not have their lot in life changed, not realizing that it's his responsibility as a Christian to help them. And he just expresses annoyance and derision, really. And again, prophets show people the error of their ways with love and grace. And I feel like in this song, that's what DA is saying to the church. You're not showing compassion. You, it's past not showing compassion. You are sharing derision and malice towards the poor because you're more concerned about material things than your brothers and sisters dying and to starving to death in your own neighborhoods. Three and a half stars, my fourth favorite song on this album. Very nice. Um, I So I like how it relates to the album artwork. Um, what I really love about it, though, because I haven't gotten a chance to talk to you about it too much on either this podcast or our last one, but I like ska a lot. And this is like some Sam, early first talking. wave. No. This is like no. some early first wave, <laughs> wave ska right here. Just for a second. It's as, we, in the... as we stay in the South, Sam, bless your heart. Continue. <laughs> uh, this is like some early first wave ska here. Ska here. I love it. Yes. I'm um, really, you, you just hear that upbeat on the guitar for a second during the course, and it makes me makes my heart swell. I love it. Yeah, it's got, it's got the guitar upstrokes that, that bring about that kind of vibe, definitely. <laughs> um. I like uh, the lyrical themes of um, this is what Steve Taylor would be hitting on um, a few years later. And I like that you guys did it first and more critiquing of the church, ignoring the world. Um, and I don't know if it was intended as one, but um, a very minor swear word that I imagine if any parents actually noticed it 
probably upset a lot of people back in uh, 1981. Which one? Which oh, and they said this food tastes like hell. Oh, okay. Like I, like okay. I said, it's it barely even counts, but I can just see some uptight Christian parents back in the day. Oh, I'm sure. Hey, Jared, did like, y'all get any pushback for that? I, I imagine y'all did, probably. Oh, we got pushback from for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so we got it. Good, we used to get it all point. the time. Yeah, we used to get it all the time live uh, for just anything you can imagine, yeah, anything and nothing. Um, but uh, I can't remember. Ter- I'm sure Terry could tell you more about that than I. But, um, yeah, it's like um, a lot, some people were always looking for something to, to be critical about, uh, especially if they didn't understand or if we were going in a direction that uh, was not the direction of their ministry. So... Yeah, but starving, but starving, but starving people. No need to get upset about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Does that even exist? It's like putting on the blinders, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so I'll go ahead and kick off this next one because it may be my favorite track. Maybe. Um, Cloak and Dagger. So the reason why I like this track so much, off the top, this taps into my inner 14-year-old self as it's the first DA song that makes me want to bang my head. I love it. <laughs> like, it just, I don't know, just that that really staccato guitar at the beginning and then the, the super I love snappy you, flash. I love you, I love you, 19, didn't, want to, didn't make you bang your head. I mean, that one was close, but this, like, okay. I literally, without thinking about it, just started okay. banging my head to this one. Um, it, it tapped into my young self right there. Um, it just, I, I love the the lightning fast lyrics in the beginning. Um, and I, I, I love the theme of you'll know them by the fruit they bear. Something that Jesus talks about, Paul talks about, and we all just choose to kind of ignore because... <laughs> It's really hard to say, um, you know, I don't think this person's bearing fruit or I don't think this person's doing this, doing that, etc. And without pointing a finger back at yourself. So um, I, I like the idea of being skeptical of ill-intentioned churches, um, of ill-intentioned people. Um, we're told so much growing up of trust these things distrust these things you know trust the church trust uh, um, law enforcement trust this and trust that and i think you know there are people in those groups that deserve to be trusted but then you're told distrust this minor ethnicity or um, distrust this style of music and there are things there that are worth trusting as well and vice versa and um, I, i love the skepticism it's something that is badly needed sometimes is just to be a little bit skeptical okay there you go that's that's possibly my favorite track aaron what do you got you muted aaron yes um so yeah that's funny this is my ninth favorite song so we're not um, simpatico tonight, Sam. Um, three stars, though. Um, 
I love the sinister feel to the song. I and I love the contrast, like you mentioned, the staccato rock um, course. But then the verse settles into like a dark salsa wave feel. Uh, is that a, is that even a genre of music? <laughs> <laughs> dark wave salsa. I don't know. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, the outro is beautiful. I can listen to it on loop. Um, and yes, I think the song does talk to this, like you mentioned, this um, how we need to be skept, um, um, be more discerning with the churches and the leaders that we follow. And the line about the bloody hands um, um, is an example of that saying that, you know, if this church is professing this, but their fruit is just bigger buildings and they're not investing in the community at all, you might not want to, you know, sign your name to that. And so I think you're right. We should, as people, as Christians, whatever, we should be more skeptic um, and not just accept the things that say face value. And I think that's what the point of this song and the album, what well, the next four albums is really about. Jerry, what, what are your thoughts on this song? <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, it's definitely... Um, about uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And um, the message is basically that there are wolf in sheep's clothing, and sometimes they're in your own backyard. Um, Terry and I wrote it about some of the band's business dealings at the time. Um, and pretty strong uh, lyrics. Uh, and musically, yeah, it was a fun musical thing to do. Uh, I think I played all all my guitar parts on Terry's Rickenbacker, from the galloping chunks to the mo- the melody line, and um, I was planning on replacing scratch melody guitar licks at the very end section, but everybody seemed to like what I did, so we just uh, kept it. It was just off the cuff, sort of played, um, and uh, with the intention of replacing later, but. Um, uh, it, there was actually no need to do that, but, uh, yeah. Thank God, thank God you kept it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where you just do it very, very, um, unintentionally. It's just sort of just playing off the top of your head what's there. And it's something that initially I thought, well, oh, I can do it much better than that. But then I wound up liking, uh, it for what it was, you know? And 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 loving it for that. So, um, yeah, the, it's a it's a dark song, and and kind of bizarre. But it's sort of like, um, it's like cowboy, uh, new wave, sort of. I don't know. Just just really, it's a mix of a lot of styles, really. But fun. Too much fun. So that leads us to Colored By. I think I will start off with this one. Um, I love the driving beat in this song. It's so infectious. I love the line, you might not recognize the truth gets colored by wrong things. I love that. And when I think about this, it just makes me think of how people, they just take other people's uh, interpretation of the Bible without investigating, reading it themselves. And it's hard work, like we mentioned earlier, about you know getting outside your comfort zone, being an introvert. But it's also hard to read the Bible and know it's in there. 
so much easier to sit in the church for 30, 45 minutes, an hour, and just have somebody tell you what you're supposed to hate or fear instead of reading the Bible yourself um, and make yourself a scholar. Um, and um, and then the next line, I, uh, the other line, um, down in Africa, they beat the drum, the, the big beat. A white man through the PA says, don't beat that drum. Tell him, go back. Where does it say that? And I think that here, um, Terry's addressing the prevailing thought at the time and probably still... I don't know, I'm the Christian music, but I'm sure it's still a thing that rock music that has a big driving beat is from the devil, and those rhythms came from Africa. And so I think that's what Terry's referencing there. Um, and of course, nowhere in the Bible does it say, oh, drums are bad, but people believe that um, the rhythm section in the song is on fire. And like I mentioned earlier, like it's, I mean, if you don't can't bob along or dance this, then your soul's probably dead. Um, I love the soaring guitars, Jerry here, perfect icing on this song. Um, and it's in 2021, this song and everything else on this album still sounds so fresh. And that's what I wanted to mention earlier. Like you English, if you if you just grab a random 1981 Christian album, rock album, anything, it's not gonna sound remotely fresh. And it's amazing that these songs could still they still, I mean, they don't sound dated at all. Like, and that's just amazing to me. <laughs> um, three stars, and then my seventh favorite song on this album. What do you think, Sam? I would have to disagree a little bit. Um, I think the production on this sounds a bit dated, but um, I'll get into that in the end. However, with that said, this song holds the catchiest course in this entire album. The real thing, oh, real thing, oh. Man, that is catchy. It will just get looping in your head some days, and you don't even know where it came from. Um, back to that new wave sound at the beginning of the album, and um, the lyrics didn't particularly grab me. I guess I get what they're going for, but if it wasn't for that catchy course, it just feels like kind of repeating themes we've already had. Um, this album could have possibly benefited from, you know, cutting out a few tracks and leaving in just ones that really represented the big ideas. And this is one of the ones I would vote to keep in because darn, that's catchy. So there you go. Um, it's a, it's a nice closing track too. I'll say that. Um, I have grown to appreciate, and I bought a vinyl player this last year, and I've grown to appreciate that last song on a vinyl before all the music just stops. And you have to take the time to lift up the needle, flip the vinyl, pit it back down. It adds a whole entire different effect than on a CD where it just keeps going to the next song. So, yeah. Before yeah. we throw before we throw the Jerry, I just want to say one thing. I, I disagree. I don't think this is a redundant song because we had songs about the materialism, searching, fame. But this song in particular is talking about biblical scholarship. Like, the church is predicated that the pastor tells the people what to believe in the Bible and they accept that. Well, this song's like, no, you have to search it yourself. I don't think that another song on this album really uh, touched on that theme. So I just want to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Go ahead, Jeremy. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it to me, it uh, really speaks about the difference between is something does it fall into the category of a commandment or, um, 
or is it just something that uh, is is culture? You know, is it is it something that um, that we look down on culturally, and we try to turn it into something that God says when God says nothing about it? Um, so, uh, yeah, really, that's that's my take on it. Um, you know, how we wear our hair, what we, um, the kind of music that we listen to, um, a, a lot of things in our, um, in our culture really are all about the culture. And, um, um, a lot of times, you know, that's, that's not something that, that God is telling you, uh, no, no. You're, you're, uh, I command you to, um, not do that. Your, your culture is wrong. Drums are of the devil. Um, when something like that is just a matter of, um, taste, a matter of culture, a matter of, um, trends that come and go, you know. And, um, yeah, getting back to, um, I mentioned earlier, uh, another percussion instrument that I, um, play, uh, this song starts out with a weird sound. Um, I played this instrument. It, it also comes in right before the, um, guitar and well no it comes in the intro and then it's also during the guitar uh guitar slash bass solo um i played an instrument it's called the whirly tube it's got different names the whirly tube corrigaphone or blugel resonator also sold as i'm reading this here uh definition as freka in the 1960s 70s it's an experimental musical instrument which consists of a corrugated ribbed plastic tube or hose, hollow flexible cylinder, open at both ends and possibly wider at one end, uh, which the one I use I don't think was, um, the thinner of which is rotated in a circle, circle to play. It may be a few feet long and about a few inches wide. The faster the toy is swung, the higher the pitch of the note it produces, and it produces discrete notes in the harmonic series like a valveless brass instrument. Never uh, heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just lost my place here. Mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen that toy slash instrument around. Yeah, so. yeah. It's, uh, now, they also say that the fundamental and second harmonic are difficult to excite, they say. And believe me, it's very, very hard to get the second and third level. Uh, you just have to, to swing it much harder, much faster. But I was able to accomplish that on the intro, and, and then I had to maintain the same note during the um, solo. So um, anyway, uh, they, they say that or in the orchestral section, uh, of an orchestra, it's usually included in percussion section 
with sound effects such as chains, clappers, and thunder sheets. So there you go, something weird. Um, oh, one other thing I wanted to say, the guitar solo, the weird guitar solo, I wanted something kind of, kind of outside, something odd. Um, so I came up with a part in rehearsal, and then Marty said, uh, let me match that on my bass. So he played, he learned the same thing that I played on it, and we just played it together for the solo. And uh, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention, too, Ed does these great drums during the verses, really cool things, you know, sort of like the jungle drums. A lot of fun. There you go. Lots of lots of fun. Well, speaking of weird instruments and weird things, um, let's flip the vinyl over. And let's pick Jerry, it up and flip it. <laughs> Jerry, why don't you tell us about I'm assuming Cloak and Dagger, C&D Reprise. Yeah. That was all Marty on keyboard. Um, I'm not even sure I was there when he laid that down. Um, it's just an idea that either Marty or Terry had of just doing, uh, bringing that back in a reprise and, and just doing a, a short little thing. Um almost like a pause, uh, a breather when you, to get back into the, th the second side. Uh, and it also, I think, sets up the um, next song really well. Um, it's sort of like a very short little musical interlude, and then bam, through the speakers comes in. All right, I'll go next. Um, I, I, I think it's the perfect opener to the side. Um, it's ominous piano. You, you said it's keyboard. I didn't know it was piano, organ, whatever, but all right. So now I know what that is. It's a musical palette cleanser. That's what I said. I don't consider a song, so I'm not ranking it. That's it. What do you think, Sam? Um, I agree. It's a, it's a great opener. Um, a weird, interesting segue into the B side of the vinyl. And um, I do agree with you, Jerry. I like how it um, segues into Through the Speakers. And I have a, a question about this song that I thought of when I listened to it last week. And maybe um, you can clarify for me or tell me if I'm crazy or not. So throughout the music of uh, Jason Martin, um, Starflyer59, he's super influenced by you guys i always hear stuff from his music and i say that sounds like danny elfman and then one time i was interviewing someone and they said oh no that sounds like terry taylor he did lots of stuff like that we get to this song back in 1981 this song reminds me of danny elfman who would have been in the rock band oingo boingo at this time and the crazy thing is they just debuted as a rock band only two years earlier in 1979. Mm -hmm. Now, it's possibly just a coincidence that this sounds like that. But it sounds like it to me. Am I crazy? Um, you, you're talking, are you talking about Hit Them or are you talking about the, the reprise, the C&D? Uh, through the Speakers is what I'm talking about. Ah, okay. Um. You know, I don't know. T Terry would have to answer that, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, we listened to um, Ingo Boingo was a, a had been around, and I was aware of them from the late seventies. 
because they used to play locally uh, at my favorite club a lot, Bastard, back when they were known as the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. And um, they were Southern California band. And so I don't know if Terry had an influence there or not, but uh, hard to say. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, basically the song is like, it's like, you know, it's rocking the message, you know, and are we getting through or are we merely just entertaining Christians? Uh, but God prevails where we fail. So any other thoughts on the song? Um, that's pretty much my thoughts. Um, I, I love the way it rocks. I love the way it sounds. Um, and of course, Marty again on Marty did some, some great understated keyboard parts on this album. And I really love what he did. Uh, the drums rock and, um, Terry and I just had a lot of fun on the guitars, especially in the vamp at the end. Um, you know, Terry's, I, I'm doing the, the chordal chunks and, and he's doing the, those things. Um, just, it just builds really nicely. So I've always loved that. I've always loved the way it sounds. Very nice. I, I love the operatic vocals, the, the not now I'm pretty convinced the nods that Wingo Wingo it's it's a it's pretty awesome and um, I couldn't decide when I initially heard it if the lyrics were like a sincere hey are we getting through to you on the speakers or because it was kind of more operatic and pageantry ish if it was more taking a stab at um, the Christian music industry again so it's I, I'm kind of happy to hear that it's a bit more sincere. Because um, I feel like after the really heavy lifting at the front side of the album, it's nice to have some really sincere songs here on this B-side. Aaron, what do you got? Okay, before I go into it, I I, I never thought that it would be wondering, talking about the Christian music industry was trying to get through to speakers, because clearly the mainstream music industry doesn't care about reaching people. It's about being formulaic and making money. If they were concerned about um, reaching other people, then they would promote bands like Daniel Amos and other people who were being, you know, you mentioned Starfire 59, Prayer Chain, who were being inventive and trying to make creative music. But clearly those bands don't get promoted. So I never thought once for it that it was that. I thought I always took it as the band sincerely wondering because they're trying to balance art and, and their faith and like so honest reflection of are we doing what we think we're doing or not so um yeah so with this song terry has replaced cb radio from the song shotgun angel where god mysteriously comes through the cb radio and now he's replaced the radio and the message is jesus loves you because at the end you know at the song he says that um I don't know why the beginning of the song reminds me um, of the beginning of the Eye of the Tiger when I hear it, but it does. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> the band is tight on this song and throughout the album, and it's just this, <clears throat> just those sounds, those guitar riffs are great. Terry's vocals are clear and honor, um, and earnest, and I agree. I love the operatic um, chorus through the speakers. From the minute from the minute one oh nine to the one minute twenty two second mark, there's these keyboards, guitar riffs, and everything's going on is just perfect. I love everything that's happening in that section. 
And again, I can't say it enough. The background vocals are phenomenal. I think one of the best things that DA does is background vocals. And I don't think most people talk about that. They do it better than most bands. Three Star is my sixth favorite song in this album. How about you, Sam? What do you think about it? Well, I gave all my opinion up front. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and just move into the next song here. Um, and I, I said before, I appreciated how this last song, you know, through the speakers was super sincere. And I like that we get two sincere songs in a row with Hit Them. Um, I was young. I was so guilty of this. Um, where I just wanted to, and it was just because I was young and immature. I wanted just to whack people over the head with scripture rather than just loving them rather than just being present and, you know, um, proving we are Christians by our love. I wanted just to throw Bible at them and throw scripture at them and tell them how wrong they were. And that's a horrible way to go about life. It is horrible. Um, and I, I pray I'm growing out of it every day. So, um, great message and i like the the smooth pop kind of gives me a beach boys beatles vibe similar to um some songs off the horrendous disc so who wants to go next i'll i'll take it i'm here and i i love what you said sam but and i agree and here terry stresses the importance of trying to relate people from a human perspective and not a sin sin and damnation perspective because again, it's so much easier to do that. You're wrong, change. You're t- that's how you talk to children. You know, people, adults aren't children. Um, I love the hand claps or wooden blocks in the background. I don't know if it's wood blocks or hand claps. Hand claps. Um, hand claps. Okay, great. I love it. I'm a sucker for good hand claps. <laughs> um, the music during the course is beautiful. It makes my heart happy. And like, I love the, it's still a warm sound to this. And yeah, and I, you know, the previous song, the sign, and the next song, I think, are very sincere songs. Um, and then again, the lyrics are reinforcing that God can only work when your actions are grounded in love and shared humanity, not in fire insurance. Y'all remember that thing, that that phrase, fire insurance? Mm-hmm. I <laughs> missed that one at some point. <laughs> okay, so it's basically fire insurance was um, if you believe in God, you don't go to hell. That's your fire insurance, so you don't go to fire. Yeah, and so was that one of those dorky Christian T-shirts? I can see that being on a Christian T-shirt. Probably, I would. I, I would. I would. If I was the bet man, I would say yes. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, and I think that, like you said, Sam, it's so it's harder, but it's way more effective when you're just authentic and truthful and you admit your own frailties and i love that the band does that in their music my 10th favorite song three stars what do you think jerry yeah it's um yeah it's it's a a nice smooth song uh about you know a choice of being effective and loving people as yourself or not being effective and trying to hit them over the head with words and legalistic jargon. Um, and hit them with the book. Yes, exactly. And I mean, you, you see that, um, you see evidence of both that and how uh, one can be very effective and very loving and wonderful and how the other one just 
becomes this negative thing yielding no fruit. So, and actually um, getting the op having the opposite effect. Um, musically, yeah, hand claps are great. Um, and um, I, I remember playing a Strat. I played a Strat on a lot of tunes on this album. And uh, we just, we chorused the Strat, put a chorus on it in the mix and um, just has this nice warm sound and it complements, I think the, uh, the theme of the song very well. So it came together really nicely. Very nice. Um, so I, I'm sorry to, well, I don't know. I'm going to Aaron, why don't you go ahead and hit this next song up for me? And then I'll okay. go last. Okay. Um, baby game. Oh, oh, yeah. This song lyrically to me is the twin of Little Crosses that's going to show up on the next album. Um, Christians are always praying to God for help instead of using the teachings of grace, pers perseverance, and suffering to be made in the image of Christ. It's like sometimes you got to go out there and deal with the suck. God's not going to deliver you from every disaster, every mild delay, every problem that comes up sometimes you gotta no guts no glory you know and i think this song really speaks to that um i love the the line which <laughs> i think it's from god's perspective the baby throws the rattle at um she threw my rattle at me <laughs> that's hilarious to me and like i see like so my and when i was a christian i'm no longer a christian but i could see myself too like thinking like you know just complaining like and it's like me just throwing my rattle at guy like no i don't want to eat my vegetables so i really love that i really love that line um this song's about i find it hard not to dance to this one as well um it's super groovy um Y'all could have talked the talking hit so much. <laughs> um, that shaker that comes in at 210, man, it sounds so good. I love that. Um, uh, my favorite line is, okay, little birds are helpless way up in the tree. They cry for mother almost constantly, but little birds must one day take their wing. I told her, and she threw her rattle at me. <laughs> That's... <laughs> If that does, I mean, like God is constantly saying, "Go out there and live." And like, no, protect that shelter. He's like, no, go fly, little bird. Oh my gosh! And this also reminds me of um, an Irish proverb: "If God lived on Earth, people would break his windows." And it's so true because what we think of God, and we'll get to this on darn for a bit, bite. Um, what we think of God is not usually remotely close to what he actually is if we were honest in our experience so um i really appreciate this song a lot lyrically and musically um i could dance to this all night um three stars 12th favorite song in this album yeah um yeah it's a it's a um i mean i think the title really says what it what it's about uh about spiritual growth and um and either um being stag well being stagnant as opposed to uh growing into maturity as a christian um and you know getting saved without really producing fruit beyond that um i think that's really the message um very a very new wave song 
Uh, Terry sang all the parts, all the harmonies with himself on this one. And, um, and uh, yeah, uh, a fun song to play. Um, but, but I think, yeah, the, the main thing was just that uh, it's the whole thing is your faith shattered, you know, by the slightest little thing, or have you just, you know, gone forward, gotten saved, and not moved any further than that? And then when the storms come, um, can you weather those storms if your faith is still, um, you know, something that, that hasn't matured? So you'll be, you'll be a prop on the ground. But you'll yeah, still there smile. You go. Oh, one, thing, <laughs> one thing I was going to say when you mentioned little crosses, um, if I might interject that, uh, sure. that's that's a song that uh, I'm amazed at how many everybody has different interpretations. But I just wanted to put in what I actually uh, intended. But I'm open to every interpretation for that song. But little crosses to me was I wrote it about all the little gods in our lives, all the little things that we put on pedestals. So if you think about that the next time you listen to the lyrics, uh, it'll make sense how all these little things, um, I just, you know, they're my best friend. I just, you know, and they come between me and God, all these, whether they're, you know, material things or, or whatever. But, um, it, and the title was actually influenced by um, the first time I saw, I was in a, uh, a record store. I was in a, a record store called The Warehouse way back then that used to exist. And uh, it was the first time I saw um, David Byrne and Brian Eno's album, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. And it has all these little crosses in a weird... Uh, video color mirage or um, kind of collage thing, and my head just said little crosses. So anyway, enough of little crosses. There you no, go. That's great. Awesome. Um, I'll start off the next one. Well, um, oh what? Oh no, or, that's right, Sam. Yeah, I'm gone. Yeah, I didn't do this one. No, I'm sorry. You're fine. Also, we'll have great ammunition for the next album, so I'm I'm happy for that. Um. So this song, uh, I will say, <laughs> one finger pointing forward, three pointing back. Bear that in mind. However, as someone who grew up with parents who I saw several times in their lives, they tried to witness to people and mentor people and bring people to church. And some of these people um, just refused to spiritually and sometimes emotionally mature and grow up. And once again, one finger pointing forward, three pointing back. I've been just as guilty at times in my life. Um, but it obviously reminds me, and I'm sure this is what you guys are going for, where Paul talks about um, you still want the milk of the word and when you should be eating the meat. And it's a, we all need to grow up sometimes. Bingo. And <laughs> yeah, we all need to grow up sometimes. And I relate so hard to this because I've seen it and I've been it. And um, more hand claps. I figured you'd appreciate that, Aaron. I know what a big fan you are of hand claps. 
So that catchy pop and hand claps. Oh, yeah, this song's awesome. Okay. Aaron, go for it. I'm sorry there's no love songs up here for you, Sam. So I, There's no love songs and there's no breakup songs. I am just yeah. missing out here. Those are my two favorite songs, love songs and breakup songs. Yeah. It's weird. That's the that's the world's favorite types of songs. Okay, so Shedding the Mortal Coil. All right. This is a weird song. I don't know what genre this is. I don't I don't know how to describe it. It's I don't know, space I don't know. Um of course Starfire for the Nine, Jason Martin covered the song and that's how how I heard of Daniel Amos because I heard that he covered the song about the Daniel Amos compilation, and that's how Daniel Amos came into my world. Um, I'd Starfire's version of the song better. Sorry, um, I do love the image of shedding our mortal, our our humanity like a snake shed its skin. It's macabre and beautiful at the same time when I imagine it, and it always makes me think when I see this the title of the song. Um, it's only two stars on this and it's my least favorite song if you're, incl- if you're not including the reprise which I'm not so that's all I gotta say about this one how about you Jerry what you gotta say about this one uh, yeah I've got a, I've got a lot actually um, and once again um, more uh, David Bowie influence uh, especially in the Terry's vocal um, let me say something about the title we were on tour in Canada with good friend and brother Randy Stonehill. One night we were relaxing between concerts and Randy, in his customary humorous way, used the term shed the mortal coil, which means to die. You know, it's an actual idiom, an actual term. And we all nearly fell off our chairs with laughter because I'd never heard it before. And I'm not sure if Terry, the other guys had either. But um, so when we got back, to Southern California, Terry and Mark Cook and I wrote the song before Mark quit the band. Um, so we had it before Alarma started. Um, and um, when we went in the studio, the song had started out as a pretty straight ahead, normal sounding progression uh, of uh, rock. But we got in the studio and it became very eccentric. Uh, I was sent into the control room, or actually sent out of the control room uh, into the uh, studio to do, to do my guitar part. I couldn't hear what everyone in the control room was cooking up because I had my um, headphones on, but they weren't cluing me, me into what they were saying. Uh, but they instructed me to put some paper beneath the guitar strings to mute the sound. So I did that, and through the headphones, as I played the guitar part, I started hearing uh, the sound of my guitar get more and more bizarre as they kept adding all these effects. And um, the, the um, paper underneath the strings really is why it sounds so weird. Um, but what you hear is the result of all of our collaborative efforts in that, and that's why it came out sounding so strange so there you go i love it wow that's amazing i that's i love weird stuff like that yeah it was, <laughs> it was it was one of those things that just all happened in the studio and it was a blast doing it we just had a great time yeah i am um, 
if I had anything against this song, and this is very minor, I it feels like it belongs on a different album. Um, I don't know that it quite fits into the rest of the themes of this album, but it gets it's so just for weirdness alone, it gets bonus points for me. I love just weird little tracks. Um, and short and catchy, probably the happiest song you'll ever hear about death. Um, (laughs) which I love personally when I hear happy songs about death from Christians, particularly because if you truly believe the Bible, death should be a happy time in your life. Um, you know, you, you've fought your battle and you've won, right? But a lot of people refuse to look at it that way, um, or don't want to think about it. So I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I, I personally love um, happy songs about death. <laughs> so yeah, that's that song. All right, let's we're we're wrapping up to the we're getting to the the final three the the end we're of the album stretch. We're the home. We're we're on the last leg. All right, so Jerry, why don't you lead us off on "Endless Summer"? We got two beach songs in a row here, but. Yeah, we, um, it's a great one. Terry and I wrote In the Summer. He and I always had a love of the Southern California beach and surf scene. Um, there was a guy named Bruce Brown who had a legendary surf documentary called The Endless Summer. Um, it told the tale of two surfers who followed summer weather around the globe in an endless search for surf sun and sand and the perfect wave it's a classic film that i've always loved and terry and i wrote wrote it in uh regarding the endless search for for uh in a spiritual sense for peace perfection and happiness uh the message is there is an eternal obviously an eternal endless paradise um now musically uh i wasn't I came up with a different arrangement um, for the guitar part, uh, and I wasn't satisfied with that original part. Uh, It was supposed to be released along with other tracks as sort of a download-only bonus disc for the Horrendous Disc Box set. Um, it, It may still see the light of day at some point, but we ran into some snags on it, so... I will probably um, talk to Tom Galata <clears throat> a little more on it and see if if it's something that we can um, uh, kickstart and well, not kickstart, but uh, get going again and and maybe have happen. Uh, but there is a, awesome. a yeah, there's a version of the original uh, uh, version of that song. Uh, but yeah, I reworked the original guitar part and the end result was so much more satisfying. Uh, I love how Ed really cooks on the offbeat switch at the end uh, of the song uh, and really, really nails it. So that was a fun, energetic song to do a blast really. There you go. Okay. Very nice. Um, So, Endless Summer. This is DA's second surfing song. Um, though it's not nearly as good as Tidal Wave, in my personal opinion. That's the far superior song about surfing. 
But I do appreciate how both songs are about the vanity of this temporary world. And um, I, I think it's kind of cool. It's based off that documentary because, you know, at the end of the day, um, I've often heard it said in my life growing up that if you're not searching for God, you're always searching for God. I mean, everything you're doing, rather, it's a secular pursuit, spiritual pursuit, whatever it may be. You're searching for God in that because that's the hole you have in your life, whether you realize it or not. Right. And um, I appreciate that theme in a song about summer <laughs> because especially when you're young, that is the ultimate of I'm searching for happiness in summer um, and rest and peace and enjoyment and laughter, et cetera. And it's, it all comes back to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, right? It's all vanity. But you should still enjoy it. So, um, my very short thoughts on this, Aaron. Moderation, moderation in all things. That's what it is. So Indeed, lyrically, yes. lyrically, this is the brother of the tidal wave, like you mentioned from horrendous this. Also, perversion the tidal wave better because it's dark. The narrator specifically gets killed because they can't swim. I just love dark stuff like that. So that's what gets to the edge. So, Jerry, me and Sam, we love death. Welcome to the fold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If the Beach Boys and the Talking Heads collaborated, this is what it would sound like in my head. Um, I want to go to Surf City because I had so much fun in this song. I mean, I love it. Dead Man's Curve, (laughs) you know, all that. Uh, From the 1 minute 43 to 1 minute 53, there's keyboards there that sound ephemeral. I love it. Um, Three stars my 14th favorite song on this album. And I'm going to take the liberty, if you guys don't mind, to start off the next song, Walls of Doubt. Is that cool? Go for it. Yeah. I cry every time I hear this song, and I've heard it at least 100 times. This song is about love, and whatever deity or whatever you serve, it should be rooted in love. Terry's managed to write one of the most human songs ever. The line... Love puts to rest some of the questions. And I love that. Like, because when whatever you believe in, whether it be God or whatever, sometimes it's sold as this is the answer to everything. But that's not true. And Terry, I love that he admits that. I have a friend who has who's um transgender, transgender, and they have some issues with that being in the world. And we had a conversation and we talked about it. And this song came up and how it was a source of comfort because Although we're Christians, we realize that just because you believe in Jesus or whatever, you don't um, believe, I mean, that everything's perfect. Um, and it was a really heartfelt um, conversation. And I was just so crazy that I'm agnostic now. And I come to this song as a source for comfort when I'm having a bad day to this day. And that a Christian who has identity issues comes to the song for the very same line. And it's just amazing to me. Um, and the, the line, love is the, love is the master's plow to crash down your walls of doubt. Whether you doubt your worth, you doubt if your marriage is worth fighting for, if you doubt if you can take one more day work, working a job you hate, love can crash down that wall of doubt. That's just such a beautiful image. I mean, this song has, I can't tell you how many times it's saved, saved days of mine from turning into awful days. The music is understated and perfect. This song is a Desert Island song to me. It's in my top 10 songs written by Terry. And I mean, it's just, I mean, it's great. Um, another line, 
all through the hours of the day, there's some strange, there's something strange growing, the seed of laughter and light way down inside of you. Sometimes in life, we get caught in the pain and the hurt that affords us, that life affords us. And we forget about the love and the beauty that we, that we once felt in ourselves and with others. But love is a plow and it can force all those negative feelings out. And then that seed of light and laughter can come once again. The guitar at um, 1 minute 55 seconds, I love it. This is by far the best song on the album, not even close. I love the song, I'm tearing up thinking about it. And it's funny because this is the most dated sounding song on this album, the most dated sounding song on this album, and I can listen to it and repeat. I love this song. I could sing its praises forever. Who wants to go next? Go for it, Jerry. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, it's one of my faves, too. Um, everything just, you know, really came together on, on the tune. I mean, it's another one of Terry's masterful uh, lyric writing and, um, and, and really um, um, melody as well. Uh, it's, I mean, it, it is about love. Love is the master's plow. Um, and... I love the fact uh, that musically, I think it really supports, as you said, uh, that it was um, understated, uh, definitely is. Um, to me, the instrumental break is magic. It just came out perfectly. And I still get chills uh, when I listen to it. Um, I know it's a big fan favorite. I get tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do as well. Uh, sometimes um, it's just it's one of those songs that um, there's something else going on way beyond the song itself. Um, not just in the lyrics, but the the music itself is very, very emotive and brings to light, I think, the message of love. Um, it was always a great song to um, to play live uh, at the end of the set, um, and uh, just very celebratory. Um, and I love it. I always have. So there you have it. Very nice. Well, guys, I hate to be a downer after I'm all that love and respect for this don't song. you dare sam do i do not do it <laughs> go ahead go ahead go ahead um well i wasn't like gonna say anything straight out negative about it per se um i so it's possibly one of the most straightforward pop songs on this album i'll give it that it reminds me honestly of old school da like that that first album it, um, some of the ideas remind me of me that too. album <laughs> And um, I do like the idea of God's love wrecking your doubt. However, with that said, this is an idea I have heard repeated, especially in like the 90s Christian music, which is what I grew up with, 90s CCM. Um, this kind of sappy, sometimes overly sentimental, so, while sometimes it can hit me in a nice, cheesy, nostalgic spot. Most of the time, it just leaves me feeling just like, meh, I've heard it before. 
And um, I think maybe if this song was just like a straight, nothing but a voice and acoustic, it might hit me a little bit differently. But as is, it just kind of washes over me without me thinking about it too much. Which is, I kind of feel bad because it hits you guys so hard. Well, you grew up with a decade of people ripping off Terry and the boys trying to do this song. So you got ruined. We get it. It's not your fault. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think in in traditional interview fashion, Jerry should finish us off. So, Aaron, do you want to go on this one or should I go? Yeah, I'll go. Um, so the band saved the there's the best two songs on this album last this is my second favorite song. Um, three and a half stars. Um I um I the song just has an eerie ghostly feel to it musically and lyrically it sets up the doppelganger album perfectly. Um the lyrics are a reflection on what's your true motivation and um as a person, as a Christian, whatever. Um it's the work I'm doing for Christ, the greater good, or is it for myself? That thought gets fully explored in the next album. Um, throughout the, the song, there's a checklist of things that gets frightened by the ghost of the heart, fear, you know, all vanity, all those things. Um, the central theme of this album is that the ghost of the heart will haunt those who are seeking the big time and not love God, whatever you want to, whatever deity you want to worship. And um, the primary method that they will, that um, God will use his love. Um, this is the perfect closure on this album. It wraps up all the themes perfectly. Um, although there's still like an anxious feeling in the in the music and, and the lyrics um, that something isn't right. And we find out why on Doppelganger. The guitars are the backbone of this eerie landscape. And I love it. This, I was, when this song comes on and ends, I'm just like, I was, I was, have a feeling like, hmm, that was weird and it felt good. Um, yeah. Sam, what do you think? So I wasn't quite on board with this song at first. And then those female vo- vocals hit. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is what I'm looking for right there. It, it reminds me of the contrast in um, Eminem, of all people, his song Stan, where he has the female vocals that's kind of very smoothly play the chorus against the really harsh verses. Wow. Eminem Pearl Jam, who will we name check next? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so I really love it. It just, um, this song has a spooky new wave sound to it. And I, I love it as a conclusion to the album. So the central theme is Jesus. And there's all kinds of crap that happens in between that because that's just life. Life is messy. It's we're a broken, sinful world. And that's just how it's going to be until we get to heaven. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we can point to this, point to that, point to people, the world, problems. At the end of the day, it still comes down to a fight between myself and my own selfishness, my own vanity, my own fear. Because, um, you know, as the Bible says, you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Where we all have to take, it all comes down to us fighting through our own demons, hopefully through the love of God. And I think that's a great ending to this album. And it just, uh, 
it it hits perfectly as a closer. I love it. Jerry, what do you got? Yep. Yeah. Well, it it uh, it does reiterate the whole. Um, you know, did I do it for self? The personal motives. Um, you're going to see more of that on the next album with um, Terry's and my song. I didn't build it for me. Um, but love that it, one. <laughs> it has, uh, yeah, it's it definitely has mm. a great spooky vibe. Uh, I love the effect on Marty's bass. Um, to me, that um, I'm not sure if it's a a um, flanger or a phase shifter exactly what it is, but it sounds so good on it. Just really makes that um, makes that sound great. Um, now. Um, I had some, um, my influences on guitar part that I put into it were kind of all over the map. Um, the, I thought of, um, it, you know, it brought to mind for me, uh, the doors from the doors to Brian Eno to Steely Dan, different sections of it. Um, was where my head was at. So it's just a mix of all kinds of weird things. Uh, my original intention was to have a delay put on the guitar uh, when it was mixed, but I couldn't be there for the mix, and so that didn't happen. But um, it sounds very stark, and in some ways that might be even better. Um, Karen Benson was the female vocalist that added that otherworldly thing. Uh, Terry wanted to uh, have a, a female vocalist there to do that part, uh, which to me also brings back um, some of the female vocals that were on a Horrendous Disc. Um, when we sang the song live, I used to do that part um, a lot, and, and um, it was a lot of fun to sing. Um, yeah, Ghost of the Heart was um, would be for the next album for Doppelganger. It would be um, used backwards uh, on the next installment of the Alarma Chronicles. Um, so that would be the segue there. And I'm out of gas. No, I mean I'm uh, I'm done. <laughs> All right. All right, so now, um, go ahead, Sam. You you take this next part. All right, so final thoughts on this album. Um, this is a surprisingly coherent album. Um, you really have to dig into it to truly appreciate it. It's an album that you can't just casually listen to it and appreciate the depths of it. It's a thinking man's album for sure, which... Um, creates an obstacle in this age of streaming casual streaming as it were because you have to sit down read the lyrics if you can get a hold of it get the artwork to really appreciate all the facets of it um it's not a perfect or even immediately accessible album but it's still a pretty darn great album i like it a lot um, it's a great start to this era of daniel amos this era of alternative rock really um Music, I give a two. Lyrics, I give a two. Now, here's the reason why. Um, I think they were amazing in some parts, 
but some parts of the album, I just feel like kept on repeating musical ideas or repeating lyrical ideas. And at 16 tracks, I feel like at least four songs could have been taken out somewhere to help make this not be like such a slog in some parts. Um, however, with that said, overall, I give it a 2.5 out of 3 because it's so coherent. It holds up very well. And while it sounds 80s, I love New Wave. I think New Wave holds up extremely well in like this, like in the way retro video game music holds up. You just hear it and you don't think nothing of it. And um, so overall, I give this a 6.5 out of 9. Um yeah, that's that's my thoughts on this album. Okay, I'll go next and let Jerry wrap us up. Um, overall, I will say that this album does a great job of explaining. So the next album is about the two the the two sides of us, our intent, our intent, what we're living for, and what we're actually doing. And so Alarma sets up what the problem is we're we're saying that we're christians but we're letting people people starve to death while we're searching seeking out materialism the next album's like well why is that happening and so and i think that it's really hard to do concept albums and to do four that are cohesive i think needs to just need to be spoke about and praised because that's hard to do and also yeah it's just a thinking man's album and then inside of the artwork there's a story that this goes along with the um, um, the lyrics in the song that continue for all four albums. So it's a lot. <laughs> when I'm like, we didn't even mention that, but I just wanted to mention that because that's a whole nother thing too. Um, so if you don't have a physical copy of this album, CD or vinyl, I recommend you get it so you can read the story because it's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's art rock. This is the first, maybe only Christian art rock band. Um, especially in these four albums, not the whole discography, but for sure the Llama Chronicles and um, Dawn for a Big Bike. Um, very few art rock Christian bands out there. I can't think of another one. And so I really appreciate the originality and the creativity of this. And yeah, I just look forward to everything that's coming after this. Jerry, your final thoughts? Yeah, um... You know, it's it's funny. It's one of those albums back when we did this album. Um, it was very strange to a lot of people, especially to um, I'd play it for people and they just didn't know what to think from, you know, family to um, uh, other Christians who were used to hearing so many other things. Um, now, the fact that they weren't listening to what we were listening to at the time, like Elvis Costello and Talking Heads and, um, you know, uh, The Cars and Cheap Trick and um, Brian Eno and and just a lot of odd stuff, uh, mixing all that together um, gave us a lot of, um, you know, odd influences. Um, but I think... To me, I think it's it's one of those albums that um, it has aged well um, in that um, it doesn't sound like a lot of other things. It it that you hear a lot of things that are familiar, but it's still uh, when you listen to it, it's still eclectic um, with a lot of variety and a lot of. Um, 
uh, strangeness to it. Um, but I think it just, it, it, you know, gets more, uh, gets better with age, the more you listen to it. It's the kind of album that grows on you, the kind of music that grows on you. And um, it's one of my favorites as well. So I, I think it, it's a, you know, it was, uh, it was a, a positive thing. And um, I'm very proud to have been a part of it. Well, I would definitely agree that it does age well, and you're right. It does. I think that's what I was saying when I said it still sounds fresh. I think that what I meant to say is that it still doesn't sound like anything else out there, whereas if you listen to music around this era, it kind of sounds samey. But, yeah, that's what I think I was trying to say. <laughs> so, yep. all right. Well, we right. thank well, Jerry, you, Jerry, you have been – yeah, you have been extremely gracious – We'll let you go. Thank you so much for spending a night with us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it, and I've really enjoyed it as well. You have a good night. God bless. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And for everyone else out there listening, thank you so much for listening to us. Um, we greatly appreciate it. We do this um, – not because it makes us any money or anything, but it's for the love of the music. We just, we love this stuff. And, um, so if you guys would, wouldn't mind, um, try and leave us like a, a, a review on, um, Apple, I, um, yeah, Apple podcasts or Spotify or whatever streaming service you use. It really helps us to, uh, maybe get this podcast out there. So other people can be introduced to the awesomeness that is Daniel Amos, Terry Taylor, the swirling eddies, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, lost dogs. <laughs> yeah. And um, thank you guys. Without all that, good night. Good night. My name is Samuel. And I'm and, Aaron. And as always, this has been a Brothers King Media production. Bye. Mm-hmm.